Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. You're listening to Evening Words on WURD. Progressive Black Talk Media. Good evening. You're listening to Word Radio on 900 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming live on wordradio.com, Facebook Live, and the Word Radio app. This is Evening Words. I'm your guest host, Dara Lee Lyons, about to jump in with our next guest, Rakia Mays, who is an author, screenwriter, executive producer, the host of the podcast Real Black News, which was named in 2019 as one of the top 50 podcasts in the country. Now, there are millions of podcasts in the country, so to be named one of the top 50 is pretty incredible. Um, Rakia has reported on the intersection of social issues, hip-hop, film, and TV for publications such as Ebony, The Source, Essence, XXL, Black Enterprise, The Associated Press, Billboard, and Complex. She is the author of The Man Curse, which is a critically acclaimed novel, and VH1 picked her for its iconic future leader of Black History commercial series. There is actually more I could say about this incredible woman, um, but let's jump into the interview. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? You know, I'm doing all right. I'm doing. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So I'd love to just jump in and get to how did you get into this line of work? Like what what led you here? <laughs> Which line of work? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. There, there's, a, there's a lot of different things. Okay. But I guess, you know, kind of just sharing about spotlighting the intersection of social issues, hip hop, yeah. film and TV. I think you do that in a number of different ways through a number of different mediums, but um, sort of the work you're doing for the black community in particular. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think this work began years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I found myself uh, you know, out of college and, and, you know, I was working in college radio and, and wanted to not just play the music, but, but wanted to talk about things that were happening in the community. You know, I was raised in the family that I was forced to watch 60 minutes. Um, you know, my, my hated it then love it now, Mm, who knew, you know, but you know, my grandmother was an evangelist, you know, my, my mother is a a local councilwoman in New Jersey. And, you know, so that was sort of drilled in me. So as a journalist, it was always, whether on the radio or whether writing was always about, let's talk about bigger things. I love Mm -hmm. hip hop. We'll always love it. Love movies, but that's a great project. But what else are you working on? What do you think about what's happening in the world, Mm -hmm. particularly as it relates to us as black people? And so that was important to me. And when it came to the podcast, you know, I I wanted to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted my own show, but, but for me, what was missing was something positive. You know, we talk about if it bleeds, it leads. And Mm -hmm. and typically it's a face that looks like ours. Often it's, you know, uh, news that's negative and it's, it's trauma, it's black trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I wanted to spotlight empowerment. I wanted to spotlight things that were uplifting Mm -hmm. and particularly things that are happening all over the world, because we are not just who we are here in this country in America. We are about the entire diaspora. And and that's really what my podcast real black news is about. Yeah. And for those who aren't familiar with the format, maybe haven't listened to an episode, which you should, by the way, go, go listen to some episodes, but can you just sort of uh, break down a little bit about uh, the, f- the format of Real Black News? Because it is a unique and very positive uh, platform. Yeah, I mean, you know, this season, uh, season five of Real Black News is 
is solely focused on international news. I think my past four seasons, I kind of played with, you know, just any positive news, wherever I could find it. And a lot of it predominantly was here in the U.S. And I'd mix in interviews with people who I admire, politicians mm-hmm. and celebrities and entertainers and people like that. Um, but this type, this time around, I, I wanted to expand. You know, I found myself uh, watching a lot of BBC. There's a lot of mm-hmm. BBC in our household. Um, and, and I wanted to find out and know what was happening. So I began my own research. Mm-hmm. So Real Black News is reflective of that research where I might start with just an intro and an update on where I've been and what <laughs> I've been doing um, and my perspective on what's happening in current events here in the world. And, and there might be an interview mm-hmm. from someone who's Uh, has to do with those current events or something that really interests me. And then we jump into the top five empowering um, Black news stories from around the world. So um, the last episode, uh, you know, we had stories from Ghana, you know, here in uh, uh, the U.S., North Carolina. Uh, We we went to Nigeria. We went to the United Kingdom. And they all focused on people who were either scientists or doctors or, you know, humanitarians or pastors and and amazing things that they're doing in other countries around the world to lift us up as a people. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I find to be kind of dismal about, I don't know if it's just the American education system or just, you know, people in the U.S. in general, like, I don't think we have a global mindset. I don't want to speak for everyone, but I, I was not taught to cultivate a global mindset to see the connections between myself and what might be happening in Ghana or Nigeria or Europe or France, you know, or wherever. And so can you share like some of how you see the connectedness and the value to someone in the States listening to a podcast about something that might be happening over over in Europe or like where they might not see the connection for themselves? Yeah. Well, for for me, you know, I I believe that we are all connected. Mm -hmm. Um, to the continent, to the motherland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I uh, took a DNA test with AfricanAncestry.com, had them, the um, founder, Gina Page, on my podcast one episode um, and found out that on my maternal side, uh, 100% Nigerian all the way back, mm-hmm. Kenoria Fulani tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, that deeply impacted me, yeah. you know. I haven't had that trip to Africa. You know, Ghana was opening up. If you remember, yeah. they were offering visas to everyone and everyone was 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 flying there. Um, and haven't been able to do that. But for me, hearing from my friends, reading about what's happening there, you know, I think we are all connected. Mm. You know, speaking to those who've been there and speaking to someone like a African ancestry, you know, and they were able to collect all of this DNA, you know, yeah. they have the largest amount of DNA. Mm. And and I said, how are you able to connect? And she said, because people there want people in the States to come back. Mm. They want mm. people in the States to know where they're from, to know where their roots are um, and to visit and to contribute mm. to lifting up what's happening in the motherland, but it's not just the motherland. I mean, you know, slavery shipped us out all across yes. the world, right? And so, and we've managed to pull ourselves up despite that traumatic mm-hmm. background and still make history and still be here. And we're still surviving. We're still doing wonderful things. And that needs to be highlighted everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And, you know, journalism is such a historically white profession. I mean, like, (laughs) I know the work you do, the work that we're doing here at Word, that is not reflective of what journalism at large looks like, right, still. And and I'm wondering kind of how you've preserved your voice when you were working in spaces or in an industry that isn't always receptive. I know now you have like more creative freedom, but but when you didn't have that, how did you still speak for your people and, and advocate to tell stories that are relevant? I always made it my own. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when you are a personality like you are, I think the real you shines through (laughs) at some point. It's going to shine through. And, you know, um, in my journalism days, you know, when I was writing for the vibes of the world and Essence and Associated Press and Mm -hmm. Billboard and all of these places and, and, and speaking to music stars and entertainers. <laughs> like I said earlier, I would still ask them about the world. And to me, mm-hmm. those were the most interesting conversations, how they felt about the world. You know, I'd hear about their upbringings and childhoods and how that related, you know. And I found that many of these entertainers, they wanted to share their intellect. They wanted to share their mind before it was popular to do that. Um, you know, when I was in radio, um, you know, it was part of my brand that I made to talk about, you know, um, what's happening in the newspaper. You know, there, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. There's, there's never nothing to be able to discuss. I'd always, and people would say, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, you got a whole newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did the work for you. All you mm-hmm. need to do is make that your own and find something that interests you. Because if it interests you, oftentimes it, it interests other people. I, I, I believe we, we, we are not here to change people's minds. We are here to find like minds and make our movement larger. And I believe that there are others that feel the same way that I do. Oh, I love that. Like minds. I, yes. Um, you're listening to Evening Words. I'm in conversation with Rakia Mays, an author, screenwriter, executive producer, and the host of the podcast Real Black News. Um, also author of The Man Curse, which is a critically acclaimed novel. I want to pivot and talk for a moment about that book. Can you tell folks a bit, a bit about the impetus behind writing that novel? Yeah, The Man Curse. Um originally came out with Simon & Schuster 2015. Um, It took me 10 years to write. Mm. It was a story that I knew, you know, I was a little girl that knew I wanted to write books. And it was a story, I think I had the idea as a a teenager, Mm. uh, loosely based on on a belief, you know, that I was brought up to believe in my own family. There would be whispers, little gossip, you Mm. know, about a family curse. And then as I began to write this book and began to talk to people, I found that it wasn't just my family. There were other families, other people I talked to that would be like, this curse is in my family, Asian families, Latino Mm. families, um, Nigerian families, like families all over felt like if they had been single for a long time. Mm-hmm. For some, it was if they had issues in their relationships and it had been a generational thing um, that they had been under this curse. So I wrote this book about a family of women um, who who feel that they're cursed to never marry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the curse is said to go back to great, great aunt Anna May, mm-hmm. who was caught sleeping with the church pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pastor's wife caught them and put a hex on her yeah. saying she will be without he, meaning she and all the women of her mm-hmm. family after her will be unable to marry. And this curse is passed all the way down to a young woman uh, who is unsure if she believes in it. She yeah. has wanted to get married, 
Um, obviously, this is a different time period. Yeah. <laughs> time today. Uh, but in this time period, yeah. she's wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. And so she's battling with the beliefs in her head, which is really what the book is about. You know, is she cursed or is it all in her head? Sometimes our elders can um, work to working to help us, working to uplift us can um, implant things in our head that might not always be true. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for some people. And they have to do the work to break down those beliefs. Yeah. And I I mean, I just love the premise of the book because I think it's so relatable to so many people, whether they want to get married or not, right? Like this idea of kind of... Um, carrying or paying for the quote unquote sins of our of our ancestors or, you know, like generational trauma. Right. I mean, it's a commentary um, on all that we all that we carry. Um, I wonder, you know, because you said it was sort of loosely based on um, on uh, your own experiences, but and it is a novel. And I'm curious, you know, like in the work that you do, how much of yourself you bring into it and then how much of it is kind of amplifying others stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think every writer, <laughs> particularly authors, yes. we write fiction. Um, you know, uh, fiction is often based on fact mm-hmm. and, and what happens in our worlds. And and we add stories to it. We add color to it. Um, we, we add things to it that maybe the way we want it to end or the way that we wish that we would have done it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, real life, it, it, what is the quote, the cliche, art imitates life. That, it does. Um, that is a very real thing. And so for me, you know, yes, you know, the inspiration of my family, of having heard these things um, and, and others' families and those around me and the Black women that I knew um, definitely helped inspire the man curse. Did your family members read the book? Have some of them oh, read yeah. the book? And yeah. what, what has the feedback been? <laughs> you know, I had cousins that would be like, okay, well, what? What part of this is true? I mean, <laughs> is that your cousin? I know that's who that is, right? And I was like, okay, yes, they were the inspiration. But what percentage is yeah. so that? <laughs> that was uh, the the conversation. You know, it's it's always funny as an author when you write something, and, yes. and you know, I was. I, I'll never be brave enough to actually write a, a memoir ever. Mm, um, okay. But <laughs> hide behind my words. Yeah. But um, you know, for for a lot of authors, you know, I, I think that can be a block mm. at times. You know, what's my family going to say? You know, what 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 will they think of this thing? And I think when we can kind of sort of push past mm. that, um, is really when our our talent can fly, so to speak. Yeah, that's interesting that you would use the word bravery, because I think about how brave it is. You know, you talked about kind of like, if it bleeds, it leads, it leads earlier. And I think it's very brave to be willing to bring positive news to the forefront, particularly positive black news. Um, And yet you're one of the top 50 podcasts in the country. And so I think like, you know, taking that leap of faith to me seems like a brave action. I'd love your perspective on that. But I also think there's something really magical that happens when we're willing to be brave. Definitely. I I mean, beginning a podcast, this was, I began my podcast back in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had only done terrestrial radio. Okay. Um, You know, I had a short stint satellite behind the scenes producing before satellite radio was positive, serious XM, very long time ago. 
Um, but I, I remember just having worked in terrestrial radio in New York. I was on WBLS and Hot 97 for several years, 98.7 KISS FM before they changed to WBLS. And I remember I had wanted a show, yeah. you know, um, and my program director would be like, you should start a podcast. And I remember being an old school radio person, you know, I would be like, podcast. You know? <laughs> That's like telling a journalist to write a blog. Yeah, right. But, you know, I, I kept hearing it, but it, but the, those messages kept coming to me, create a podcast, create a podcast. And I knew people who had been quite successful, rest in peace to combat Jack. And But podcasts are a lot of work and I, I knew nothing about it. And so I kind of taught myself thanks to YouTube and just online articles and reading and reading. It was a learning curve. If you listen to some of the, the earlier, early episodes, they are so bad. And, you know, the sound was like, what? It's like, it's, are you frying something in the background? Um, <laughs> you get better yeah you get more focused you start to listen to your work and you know you, you be, begin to sort of just edit and, and focus it and, and, and yeah. find your voice so to speak and and to me it was freeing um it brought me out of a depression i was in in 2018 like the podcast and having that freedom and creativity. I would have people come to my house and interview them in my home. Oh. I didn't have a booth. Right. Like, what yeah. was that? Yeah. You know, I, I, they were in my living room and <laughs> in Brooklyn. I mean, that's what we did. And, yeah. and um, it, it was a, it was a, a wonderful experience and I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did it. Oh, I love that. And thank you for being real with that. I'm thinking about the first news story I ever produced. And I was on my jacked up iPhone recording, you know, recording. And I get to the news studio and they're like, this is not like, like this is not what we do here. But yeah, but there there is a learning curve for sure. Um, so you mentioned growing up in Jersey, living in Brooklyn. What brought you out to the West Coast? Because I know that's where oh, you are man. now. Um, so... This is my second time in LA. I'm here to stay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time my grandmother had passed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I my grandmother had passed and I was just going through a rough time. I was newly divorced. Like life was low. Yeah. And when she passed, I, I could hear her voice in the back of my head saying, Kia, you better live your life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept I had this dream of wanting to to go to L.A. And so, you know, I packed up my car with a friend and we drove cross country from Jersey to L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful decision. You know, it's 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 actually where I wrote The Man Curse. Mm-hmm. I finished my book in Los Angeles. L.A. has always been for whatever reason, whether it's the weather or the scenery, mm-hmm. um, there is a very strong and vibrant writer community here. Yeah. Um, and it's always been just great for me. It's where I, I finished the book and then, you know, God laughs at plans. I ended up having to move back to New York, but that move back to New York is where I found, <laughs> you know, uh, my editor, mm. or I should say my publisher who yeah. signed me and, you know, the rest is history. So, you know, you never know where life will lead you in this particular time in LA. Um, I knew I wanted, even coming back to New York, I still, I wanted to get back. And anyone who's ever been in New York, and maybe it's the same thing in Philly, sometimes you got to get away. You got to take yeah. a break. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get away. And for me, LA was calling my name. I made friends out here. Mm-hmm. I had hated the weather on the East Coast, <laughs> lived there my entire life. I was like, I need some sun. Yeah. I need some palm trees. Mm-hmm. 
I need a better energy for my art. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I moved back to LA and, and it was confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. It was in many room for my first writer's room, you know, um, ended up getting into a writer's room, you know, mm-hmm. my podcast just kind of blew up at yeah. that time. And so LA was a wonderful decision for me. And I'm just glad I listened to sort of that voice inside of me saying, get back. I love that. And I know you mentioned listening to your grandma's voice the first time you went out there, but what do you think it was inside of you that made you go back? Because I think that's so, you know, people's struggles might be different, but I think so many of us have taken a leap of faith or something and then had a setback and and kind of just never got back to the thing that we wanted to do or the things that were calling to us. And so what enabled you to to say yes a second time. Yeah. What the fir- what brought me back the first time was family. Mm. You know, where there were family things going on and yeah. I needed to come back and and I did come back um and help to rectify those things yeah. that were happening. Uh but then I stayed, you know, it, it was it was it was it was a tough time and though it worked out for me, yeah. right? We when we go through tough situations, we just make it work because that's <laughs> what we do as a people. Yeah. Um, but I think this particular time coming back, listening to the voice inside of me was just just there was a yearning, it was a pulling. And I think it happened right after 2018. I told you 2018, I was when I began this podcast, it was I was deeply depressed. And so yeah. creativity has always been something that's brought me out of my depression. Mm. It's 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 my happy place, you know. Yeah. Um, whether writing or whether, you know, I crack a mic and, and yeah. speak to the world or whoever might be out there listening. <laughs> um, and so for me, you know, in 2018, went through that depression. I, I had um, like fibroid surgery, which is a lot. 2018 yeah, was messy. And yeah. when 2019 came and that ball dropped, you know, I said, I had to move. Mm-hmm. And I had, been, I had been saying that to myself, but I knew I needed to move. And, um, and I began planning you know, and, and left my job in radio at the time. Yeah. Uh, people were like, what? You know, <laughs> and <laughs> found some work, you know, so I could be uh, uh, financially secure and live a prosperous life like I like. I like yeah. nice things. Um, and and came back to L.A. and and I'm saying confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. That has how it's been all the way to meeting my partner and, and having my son like mm. LA has been quite fruitful for me. Oh, I love that. You're listening to Word Radio on 900 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming live on wordradio.com, Facebook Live, and the Word Radio app. I'm Darylise Lyons in conversation with Rakia Mays, an author, screenwriter, executive producer, the host of the podcast Real Black News, an author of the award-winning, critically acclaimed The Man Curse, and so much more. Um, We're going to take a quick break, but before we do, I want to give you the phone number in case you want to call in and ask Rakia any questions of your own. The call-in number is 215-634-8065. Again, 215-634-8065. We're going to take a very quick break and be right back with more. You're listening to Evening Words on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Evening Words. I'm your guest host, Dara Least Lyons, in conversation with Rakia Mays, an author, screenwriter, executive producer, and the host of the podcast, Real Black News. Um, right before the break, Rakia, you had shared that when you came out to California, you met your partner. Um, and I know that you contributed a chapter to Where Did Our Love Go? Love and Relationships in the African-American Community. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and about the piece that you wrote for that. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> um, but I, I, I feel like I want to look at my bookshelf behind me like, what did I write? Now, um, I, I, I wrote a chapter. It was called Love is Not Enough. Um, and I wrote that after my divorce. And, and it's essentially essentially about how love is not enough to make a relationship work. Mm. Um, it's something that I believe and that I learned in marriage and that I talked to other married people and divorced people yeah. about um, how you can, you can love someone and, and you can love them deeply. Mm. You know, it's a love that will, will force you to continue to push, to make the relationship better. You will try, try, try again, but, but sometimes that love is not enough mm to make that relationship work. And, and, and that is uh, what I wrote. Yeah. Or yeah. the anth- anthology, I should say. Which is sad and also very true. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, from yeah. my own experience as well. Yeah. And, you know, pivoting for a moment, you work in all these different creative mediums. Uh, you know, you do a lot of different kinds of things. And I'm, I'm curious, like, kind of how you tap into your creativity because it is very eclectic and very and very diverse so like can you share any tips or tricks that you use to kind of get get there yeah how i tap into my creativity i'm i'm one of those people that um <laughs> i kind of think procrastination is a part of the process okay completely disagree <laughs> with me but you know i try not to beat myself up for procrastinating i mm-hmm. try not to beat myself up for if I need to clean first, if I need to eat first, you yeah. know, suddenly I'm hungry. Oh, it's time to write. I'm hungry. Let me eat real quick. You know, um, it's time to get to work. You know what? Let me just Google it. Let me get on social media. Real quick. You know, <laughs> I tend to think that's part of the process. Um, what what does work for me and has always worked for me are deadlines. Mm. You know, um, as a journalist, I was always a, a, a timely writer. Yes. Um, meaning I, I needed that deadline. If you didn't have that deadline, you were not going to get that piece. And, and that is still the case today with no matter what I write. Give me a deadline. I will get it to you on time. I take pride in that. Um, even with the podcast, you know, sometimes I find myself... Um, apprehensive to say when the next episode's coming. Yeah. Um, because if I do, or if I put something up, yeah. <laughs> then I'm stuck <laughs> to the date. Yeah. You know, yeah. there was supposed to be a new podcast up tomorrow or later this week, but, you know, I have decided to wait. And, and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm waiting because I, I want to see what happens with uh, the ceasefire, what's happening with oh, Israel, yeah. what's happening in Gaza. And I want to be able to authentically mm. um, and in a timely manner be able to sort of respond yes. to what's happening. Um, so I've sort of pulled back and paused on putting up a new episode of Real Black News until I, I can be clear on what's happening there mm. uh, after this ceasefire. 
Um, so it's it's things like that, deadlines and, and timeliness that, that drive me mm-hmm. to just get to work and just get it out. I feel better when it's out. I feel yeah. depressed and sad when I haven't really uh, put my my creativity out mm-hmm. there. And, and so sometimes that forces me to do that. And then I feel suddenly this light um, feeling of, I don't know, accomplishment yeah. it is, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And I'm glad that you mentioned what's happening in the world, because I know that a huge part of your life, both personally and professionally, um, is being an activist and that you've written speeches, um, you know, nationally, globally televised speeches for activists like Tamika Mallory. Um, and, you know, and I and I just wanted to ask you, like, kind of what shape that activism takes. I know you mentioned uh, commenting through the podcast, but like, can you talk a little bit about your work as an activist? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a point in my career where I, if there was a march, Mm -hmm. I was there. This is pre Trayvon Martin, like marching was my thing. And it it was my way to deal with my anger. Mm. To me, it, I needed to get that out and I needed to commune with other like minds, you know, mm-hmm. get out there and talk and march and walk for blocks and blocks and blocks, rain yeah. or shine, cold or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. may have been during my days in New York. So that was important to me. Um, and posting on social media about things that were important to me. You know, I've always been moved by, um, you know, the fight for our human rights mm-hmm. here in the U.S. Yeah. as Black people. I mean, that, that, that's always been my thing. Yeah. Um, for me, my activism has taken the form to me. I feel like my pen, I feel like as a writer, mm-hmm. we have a responsibility to, to be activists uh, and, and talk about what's happening in the world. Words can change someone's life and someone's opinion, um, or it can, again, create make that movement larger. And I feel it's our responsibility as journalists um, to to talk about what's happening in the world and to use that pen, our pen is power. And so mm. to me, writing, um, speaking, um, even if I write a little blurb and post it on social media, that has always been my form of speaking out and my form of activism. And now my podcast, to me, yeah. is a form of mm. activism, sharing those stories that others won't share. You know, yeah. the others don't want to share that, that some are saying, you know, no one wants to hear. So we can't have mm. a radio station um, dedicated to talk radio stories about black people and what's happening with the black experience, which is ridiculous. Which is what right? word is doing. <laughs> so I love, I love that you Thank just you. called that out. Yeah, because that is the whole mission and the purpose of, um, you know, of of word of word radio, uh, real black news and. Um, you know, and I, and I'm curious, um, you were doing your podcast in the midst of, uh, the pandemic in the midst of George Floyd's murder among other murders. And I know that was not new to the black community, but it was new to people who were outside of that community maybe and had their eyes open for them. And I'm, I'm wondering what it was like to be doing the work that you were doing at that you know, at that time um, where there was such an increased awareness around social justice issues. I like to think that it's remained an increased awareness, although I'm not so sure that that's the case, but. Yeah, we never know, right? Yeah. It remained an increased awareness for part of the public. Yes, yes. They were just, you know, posturing, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, But at that time, it was 
it was crucial for mm-hmm. me. You know, at that time, my podcast was weekly. It's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was, um, I watched the George Floyd trial mm-hmm. every single day, you yeah. know, so I could talk about it. So I knew what was happening. So I could report on it, you know, on my podcast and also on social media. And to me, that was, that was necessary. Um, and that was my part, uh, and making sure that our stories, um, are at the top of people's minds, mm-hmm. uh, particularly those who would prefer to gaslight us yeah. and make us feel as if it's not really happening. It's not real. It's not important. And so, um, you know, I remember that time and, and it was, um, it was difficult. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, um, for activists and for those who are in the movement and, and those who write about these things regularly mm-hmm. or watch these things on TV. I think it's important for us to pull back at times and take care of our mental yeah. health. Yeah. Um, because it can weigh on us. It can weigh on us mentally, it can weigh on us physically. Um, and I, I, I think it's important to oh. do that. We've seen the repercussions of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a DEI focused journalist in the first two years of doing that. I didn't practice self-care and I completely decompensated. I mean, I spiraled. Um, and, uh, so I've, I've learned, uh, to be different and to, and to know that I can't always be an activist. I can't always be an advocate. I've got to kind of put my own oxygen mask on first. And I'm curious, Rakia, how you do that. How do you find rest? How do you find self-care in the midst of the work you do? I love that question. Yeah, I mean, mental health is important to me. It always has been. Mm. You know, I believe in therapy, you know, love my therapist, keep a therapist. Yeah. Um, uh, journaling has always been crucial for what I do. Just sort of sometimes I think anxieties can come from um, all that stuff in our head. Yeah all that stuff that we're thinking and the thoughts and mm-hmm. maybe I should have said this or how is this going to go or far in the future, you know, wondering if I do this, what if this happens? What if that happens? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's helpful just to get it out on paper. Yeah. Just write about it. Yes. It doesn't have to be in any form. It doesn't have to be in any order. Just get it out. Take take 10 minutes. Yeah. Start there. Set your, set your clock or your timer and just get it out on paper, 15, 20. Mm. And next thing you know, you'll be writing and writing and writing and, and you will feel better. But what's also important to me is meditating. Yeah. Um, it's something I've done since my 20s. You know, I used to, to, to buy meditation. Uh, <laughs> I'm aging myself. Tapes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and try to learn how to, how to meditate. You know, I used to read about it. So I used to read a lot of self-help books. And for me, meditation was a lot of what I got out of it and what's helped to sort of manifest the world and the life that I want, but also to let go some of those those worries and, and things that 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 weigh us down and can can also cause physical ailments mm. if we don't get it out of our system. So those are things that are important to me. Yeah. You know, when I think about meditation, I think a lot about listening, you know, kind of being calm, being still listening to inner wisdom, external wisdom, whatever. And, you know, and I know that a lot of the work that you have done as an interviewer is to listen. And so I'm wondering if you could share a meaningful story, you know, or a, or a meaningful interview from, from, from your life, you know, that has maybe changed you in some way or impacted you in some way. Oh my goodness, that's a heavy question. There's been so many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
<laughs> well, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You take it, take take it however you want, and because yeah, I I don't want anyone to get offended by that or something, you know, someone someone no. listening. But yeah, just maybe maybe one of many, right? You could just share whatever first comes to mind. I've 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 had the pleasure of interviewing so many people. I've yeah. interviewed. You know, there are people that I can't even remember. I've interviewed Malcolm X's daughter, Ilyasa Shabazz. Mm. Um, I've interviewed um, uh, White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. I've interviewed rappers like the RZA, you yeah. know, from the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've had hundreds of interviews, so many that I, I don't remember. For, for me, what is always wonderful for me um, with interviews. When I talk to the RZA and I, I love hip hop, I'm a big hip hop head, but he just sort of just took me on memory lane, mm. you know, to the beginnings of Wu-Tang. And, um, and, but then he pivoted, mm. you know, because he's wiser now. Yeah. And he started talking about children and having children by multiple women. Um, and he talked about um, his, I don't want to say regrets, yeah. but, what he wished he could have done. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked about the impact of when you have multiple children with multiple women and how you you can't devote your time to all of those children and the impact on those children and 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 when you grow, when you evolve, if you're doing the work, how that can impact you as a man later in life. I thought that was deep. Um, and so having conversations like that and really being able to, to talk to people about their perspectives on the world. But mm-hmm. for me, the most interesting is when they talk about their lives, their yeah. upbringings, what they've learned, you know, what's mm-hmm. empowered them. Those type of interviews have always been what have resonated with me and what have helped to sort of inspire me and empower me and make me feel like, you know what? We're going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always surprised by people's willingness to be vulnerable with someone they don't know. You know, I think that is so courageous, especially people that maybe are spend much of their lives on stages or in the public eye or whatever. But And then we'll kind of bring it down to what is real and true in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I, I think that, you know, for anybody who's an interviewer, um, I think that's what we all strive for mm. as as journalists. You know, yeah. you want someone to say, oh, great question. Like, you want <laughs> someone to pause and really have to think, because mm. if they do that, then, you know, you've asked a question that they couldn't have prepared for. And then that is when you get the real. That is mm. when you're really doing the work. And that's what we're supposed to do. You know, humanize people show we're all human. You know, we all have stuff, but but we're not alone and what we're dealing with. And I think it's important to bring that out. What's the question you would ask yourself if you were sitting where I am? What's a Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> you got good questions. <laughs> Thank you. Enough good questions. Yeah. <laughs> what would I ask myself? Um, geez. <laughs> um, if I were you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'd probably ask something like, I always like to ask if the vibe is right. You know, what have you learned in life? Mm. You know, um, what do you wish you'd known um, back then? Yeah. That 
you know now mm. that someone hadn't told you like I I and and I typically ask those types of questions because you know to me interviews are always a learning opportunity yeah. you know a chance to to also as enter uh, viewers to be inspired by the interviewee mm-hmm. um, um, and to take something away from it as well. So I'd, I'd probably ask something like that. Well, now, you know, I'm going to ask you. It is such a setup. Yeah. But now I, I, I really want to know, like, what, what have you learned? What do you wish you knew? Sort of like your own kind of Wu-Tang moment of looking back and being like, oh, you know, I wish I, I wish I knew this then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so many things. So many things. Um, which thing? What do I wish I, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes in my career, Mm. you know, a lot, a lot of mistakes because, you know, not having, uh, or reaching out to find proper mentors and, and, and follow up and following up and holding on to those mentors. And, you know, I, I also think that, you know, in my career, I've, I've also, you know, not always thought before I spoke. Mm-hmm. I think that older now, you know, there are things that I've said to people, you know, um, that if I, I wish I had, you know, yeah. could should have, would have, uh-huh. you know, had thought about it first and, and, and had more empathy and thought about the impact. And so, mm-hmm. and there are times in my career, um, when I didn't show up when I should have, mm-hmm. you know, because of my own fear and my own insecurity and, you know, the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I think if I had known about imposter syndrome mm-hmm. way back then and where it may come from and, and and how it may show up, you know, we just sort of started talking about this within the last few years. Yeah. But as I look back in my career, I realize imposter syndrome really showed up a lot mm-hmm. in my life. Um, and I, I didn't fully, you know, live or or go for it like I I should have because of those fears. And so, you know, I wish I had known that. I wish, you know, um, um, someone had said to me, you know, maybe if it was, there's in the man curse, there's big, there's, there's a, it's a a sort of like a therapy scene. Yeah. The protagonist grows and, you know, it's big and little and and big is who she dreams of being and wants to be. Mm. And little was sort of her little insecure self and big is the one sort of cheering her on saying, why did you say that? Why Mm. did you do that? Did you know that if you show up here, this will help you here and you'll feel like this. You're only feeling scared because fear of success, fear of failure. And you Mm. can push back and showing up as a form of of courage and bravery. And that that fear, Mm. the great quote someone once told me that fear, those butterflies, that's your talent preparing to fly. So it's okay to lean into that. It's okay to feel that. Mm. And when you show up, your talent will fly. Ah, oh, that is so beautiful. I'm writing that down. Your talent preparing to fly. I'm like, yes, yes. Uh, yes. You're listening to Word Radio on 900 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming live on wordradio.com, Facebook Live, and the Word Radio app. I'm Dara Lise Lyons in conversation with Rakia Mays. We're going to take a very quick break and then we will be right back. So stay tuned. You're listening to Evening Words on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Word Radio on 900 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming live on wordradio.com, Facebook Live, and the Word Radio app. I'm your host, Dara Lise Lyons, speaking now with Rakia Mays, an author, screenwriter, executive producer, host of the podcast Real Black News, author of The Man Curse, a critically acclaimed novel. Right before the break, Rakia was opening up about um, you know, mistakes in, in, in her career and in her journey. And, you know, Rakia, I think people have, um, I'll speak for myself. I often have the belief that like, oh, if I make a mistake, well, then why bother? Or, um, you know, I'm like, I'm done for or whatever. And I, and I wonder if you could speak about some of the grace that has come from mistakes, some of the learning and the fact that like, it's okay to fall down and get back up again and, and keep on trying. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Mistakes make us better. Mm. Mistakes, I mean, I, I think they do. You know, I think mistakes um, strengthen us if we do the work to learn from those mistakes. You know, um, I think if we have uh, a sense of some sort of resiliency, you know, and everyone is different. Yeah. Not everyone can, can come back from a mistake mm-hmm. um, depending on their upbringing, um, depending on what they saw growing up and, and and what they heard or that voice in the back of their head. Some, sometimes mistakes, people fall and, and they have a very hard time getting up. But I, I, I do believe that if you feel you felt rock bottom and you feel there's, this is it, there, then there's really nowhere to go but <laughs> up. up. Yeah, yeah. There's no choice. There's, there's, there actually, there is always a choice, but there's nowhere to go but up. So when you pull yourself up and you lift yourself up, um, there's there's a there's a strength that happens, and and the more you do it over and over again, um, you'll you'll sort of see the the light that comes from working a stand. Yeah. And I love what you said about fear being your talent preparing to fly. I know you attributed that to someone else, but I'd love to know, like, what is scaring you now? Where is your talent preparing to fly these days? You know, I I still deal with imposter syndrome. Mm. Absolutely. I, you know, if there are uh, people I admire and I'm in the room with them, I will go up to them. I'll just be like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) really? <laughs> what? Oh, I still deal with that. Like mm. I, you know, I, I, I'm more confident with, you know, sending a press request and writing, you know, okay, yeah. so I can interview someone mm. one-on-one and then I can prepare and I can research them for days and prepare my questions. And I know I will have a great interview. Right. Mm. And I've got the one-on-one to myself and personal on zoom, right. I'm confident in that space. But if I'm out and about, at a party or and I, I might see someone that I'm like, Oh my God, I love them. I, I will freeze. Mm. I, <laughs> yeah. To this day, I do that. I'll be like, Oh, and I'm like, you should go up. I'm like, no, I need someone to introduce me. I can't just walk up to them. <laughs> like it, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what that's about, but, um, you know, I, where, what, so those things do tend to, to, to still make me a bit nervous at times. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think for me, um, I think getting into spaces and pushing back on that imposter syndrome, what I've told myself mm-hmm. now um, is, is you are enough. Mm-hmm. You know, if I get nervous about something, um, I'll read my bio 
Yeah. Reading my bio will help me be like, you did that. Yeah. You, you look, look at what you did. You mm. better go show up there. Yeah. You go get cute and go. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, I have to show myself a bit of uh, tough love at times. Sometimes I'll call uh, a friend, my closest friend who has mm. always been my cheerleader, always been my support network and I can be vulnerable. Um, and she'll say, what? <laughs> you better things always work out for you she'll say things yeah. and she'll just remind me yeah. of of who i am and i think sometimes we need those reminders yeah. whatever they might be affirmations on the wall or reading your bio or looking at your mm-hmm. resume or whatever it is calling that lifeline we need that uh, from time to time just to kick us and say go fly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I want to point to in your bio, since you referenced that and you talk about getting cute, uh, is that you stay cute because the fashion brand, The Limited, selected you as one of its dynamic female leaders featured in its nationwide, that's right, nationwide new look of leadership campaign, um, at, which I think is pretty amazing. And so congratulations. Thank you. That that was a a wonderful experience that fell into my lap right at the right time. It just happened to 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 come out when my book was coming out. And mm-hmm. so my book tour for the bankers was actually at numerous limited stores all up and down the East Coast, which was just wonderful. Um, and so, you know, being able to, to go to that photo shoot with all of these other just mm-hmm. amazing boss women, yeah. um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll never forget it, and I'm I'm thankful to the limited and for um, those that 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 chose me to be a part of that. You know, shout out to Jen Maxwell; she was the casting person that found me, um, and it asked me to do that, and I I'm, I'm always grateful. I love that. So, Rakia, how can those listening follow you, uh, support your work? How can they get in touch and sort of learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, well, you can listen to the podcast, subscribe to Real Black News, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, anywhere Mm. you can find Real Black News. Um, And you can also find me on social media under Rakia Mays, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and also the Real Black News on Instagram as well. I love that. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you to those at home or wherever you are listening. This has been Evening Words. I've been speaking with Rakia Mays. I'm your guest host, Elise Lyons. And come on back tomorrow and join me for another conversation. Thank you again, Rakia. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 